Welcome to the Social Flight Live podcast, an audio version of our live show, hosted every Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern at socialflightlive.com. Social Flight is brought to you by Aspen Avionics, Avidyne, Bose Aviation, Continental Aerospace Technologies, Lightspeed Aviation, Massimo Mighty Sat, Tempest Aero Group, and Whip Air. And now, here's your host, Jeff Simon. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Social Flight Live. I'm Jeff Simon. We have a wonderful show for you this evening. Dan Greider is here. We're going to talk about aviation safety, new methods of flight training, some really, really interesting stuff that I think impacts all of general aviation and all of you as well. Before we get started, a couple things. First of all, we have just wrapped up one of our Social Flight Fly to Win Challenge segments. We've given away a Lightspeed Zulu 3 headset. I'm so excited about that. And uh, you can see that right on Social Flight, who the winner was. It's uh, great stuff. And now we are into the biggest Fly to Win giveaway of the year. We are giving away an Aspen E electronic flight instrument, a complete E5 for your aircraft, and that is uh, very, very cool. Uh, we will uh, be giving that up. All Again, all you need to do is get the Social Flight mobile app for your Apple or Android phone, get out there and fly and just check in. Even at one airport, even at your home airport, that's enough to get you entered into the drawing. Now, if you fly more, you collect a bunch of points from all different sorts of airports that you fly to, you actually get on our leaderboard, and by being on our leaderboard can actually increase your chances to win by uh, getting two entries in the contest. It's really great. Just check it out all out on socialflight.com and the Social Flight mobile apps. In addition to that, we have our Social Flight FAA learning system. It's right built in. You can click on the FAA Fast Team logo, go watch uh, different courses there, and you will get automatic wings credit. If you are an AMP or mechanic or technician of any kind, you can also participate in the FAA's AMT program and get credit there. And if you're an AMP with inspection authorization, you, if you're using education, continuing education for eight hours of credit each year, you can actually get that on your time at home through Social Flight. We'll print out certificates as you complete those courses. It's all inside socialflight.com. So be sure to check that out. Tonight's episode, as you might guess, is brought to us by Aspen Avionics. Aspen's been a strong supporter of Social Flight, making all of this possible tens of thousands of aviation events and destinations, all free to you. We are just here to support general aviation and Aspen makes it possible with that and the E5 giveaway. Now on to tonight's guest. Dan Greider is a retired Delta Airlines captain that's been an active CFI for 40 years, logging about 17,000 hours of flight time. He's an FAA Gold Seal CFI, type-rated in aircraft ranging from the DC-3 all the way up to the Boeing 777. You may know him from his YouTube channel, Probable Cause, where he features the most recent GA fatal plane crashes and an early analysis on what might have happened in those cases. That can certainly be controversial, but love him or hate him, his quest to address the GA accident rate has been steadfast and passionate, and I certainly respect his dedication to that. Anyone who cares that much about general aviation safety is good in my book, uh, even if they are controversial. Now tonight, 
we are going to talk to Dan about his thoughts on flight training and how something known as AQP can transform the way we approach flight safety in the world of general aviation. And one last note, believe it or not, he is not all about flying. When he's not flying, Dan can also be found on stage with a guitar, a banjo, or even a trombone. Please help me welcome, let me bring him on the line now. Please help me welcome to Social Flight Live, Dan Greider. Get Dan on here. Looks like we've got his mic and we've got to get his uh, camera on. There we go. Welcome, Dan. How are you? How's that? Too many, too many buttons. <laughs> There's a little, uh, little CRM going on. Uh, going on go. uh, cockpit automation at your desktop. That's it, Mr. Simonson. Thank, thank you very much. Uh, your last name is Simonson? Simon. <laughs> So, uh, Dan, and uh, thanks for the joke. So, um, I'd like to start with a little bit of background. Uh, a lot of people know you from YouTube, but uh, there, you know, I'd like to know what made you who you are today before we jump into the actual flight training concept, because you've got a big background here, and something had to have driven this passion for diving in to aviation accidents and uh, and incidents and, and and making safety this this much of your life life's work. I appreciate that, Steve. The uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> Jeff. Steve, Bob, Joe, Jeff. Yeah. I I apologize. Well, you I'm making a little joke. You called it AQM instead of AQP, so I, I did that twice. I know. Okay. Yes, AQP. But you're going to explain what it is to all of us because we don't know yet. I know. I'm just giving you a hard time. I thought I thought it'd be funny to. To mess up your name. Uh, <laughs> Jeff Simon is a great guy. Jeff, I appreciate you having me on here. Uh, you asked about four questions all embedded in a little roll there. I'll try to take a 30-second swipe at that. Why things are the way they are is because I've always had this flair for trying to do the things that could not be done. And this jigsaw puzzle of trying to figure out why we keep killing ourselves has just been a puzzle. It's been a mystery. And those are the kind of mysteries that I dive into feet first. And I'm, I'm like the energizer bunny on this thing. I don't quit until I figure it out. And I feel like I'm slowly starting to make some heads or tails on what's causing our problem. So that's that was the stimulus that caused it. It started about 20 years ago and trying to sort this thing out and then it's been evolving ever since so did you find at your at the very beginning when you first became interested in flying when you first decided to become a pilot were you already starting to really take an interest in in the concept of safety and driving your so did you see the seeds of where you are today back then i did not i i was a fledgling private pilot then an instrument rating I didn't pay any attention to anything except where my next hour was going to come to. I, I I had no concept of safety or how the whole thing worked. I tried to operate my airplane the best way I knew how, and that was it. So none of that was on the table ever. Interesting. Well, you're there now. And so what is it that actually drove you to the point that you decided to start investigating kind of uh, both uh, accidents and then putting the story together of what causes them. 
Good question. Uh, it, there was one particular accident uh, 20 years ago where a, a kid got killed, and he was a kid that I had uh, taught to fly. I sold him at 16. I got him a private pilot's license at 17. I got him an instrument rating, a commercial. I got him multi. He had about 450 hours when he killed himself in a 172 day VFR, giving a ride in a 172. And I had to carry a casket at that funeral. I had to speak at the funeral. I, I had nothing to say. Everyone kept asking me, how come Brock is dead? Hmm. I, I couldn't, I, I did not have an answer. And that thing haunted me for, it still does, but I, I dug in deep on that one, trying to figure out and started doing my own research in the year and two after that on what Brock might have done or why did he react? He had an engine failure at 400 feet and he pulled. I know I didn't teach him to pull, but maybe I did not teach him to push either. I didn't know. So I started doing all these early, early, early VHS videotape experiments with people, seeing what they did in the same situation. And I made a conclusion and that that was the very first one. That was the catalyst that started it. And it only happened because the, the NTSB conclusion was ridiculous. Uh, we, we don't, I got nothing out of that. And the family didn't know, I didn't know. Uh, so I started down that rabbit trail. And then once I started down that one, there was others that came along that were equally perplexing. Uh, all with the central theme, it always involves a human being. Hmm. That certainly makes sense. And what did you discover when you were, you, say, you said you were doing some things with, with VHS and you made a discovery in looking at that? Well, I should not have, but I gave a lot of people surprise engine failures, videotaping them with my VHF, VHS camera. I, I had a little thing taped on the yoke of a, of a 150 where when they got their engine failure, I could record the yoke movement. And nine out of 10 people, when they got their engine failure, you could see the yoke move aft about a half of an inch. Physically, the yoke came back at the element of surprise. If they were truly surprised, at the instant the engine quit, the yoke moved aft. And I thought, that is that is crazy. Who, when an engine quits and you're already climbing at VY, who's, who in their right mind would pull? But we're all human beings, and that's what we all do. And that started down that rabbit path of figuring out why why are we doing that? It's fascinating. Now, what we're, the, the main focus of your recent work is this concept of AQP. So let's lay it out right now. Tell us what the acronym means and what we're really talking about to lay out tonight's event. Perfect. And I appreciate that, Jeff, and I appreciate the uh, exposure. I apologize for the ribbing, but you got to know that's part of the Dan package. <laughs> um, and I knew you could take it, so we're, we're good. Um, the uh, AQP is Airline uh, Advanced Qualification Program, and it came from the airlines. The airlines actually had the same problem that GA has right now. It's just that they embraced it and put it into place. It became, instead of training for specific things um, that are in uh, what we used to call the PTS. Uh, for instance, a 737 pilot on a check ride would have to do a steep turn and a Shondell and uh, all, all these, I actually have to do stalls in a 737 and, and slow flight and stuff like that. They moved away from all that stuff saying, look, the guy's already a, a pilot. He's already got 3,000 hours. He's already got 5,000 hours. We don't need to waste any more simulator time trying to get him to perfect the steep turn. 
what are the things that are killing our airline pilots out there on the line? What, what are the scenarios that occur to this guy specific to this airplane and this airport and this terrain? What are the scenarios that our guys keep on getting into? So they developed this thing called Advanced Qualification Program where they specifically have the authority from Congress to throw the PTS out the window. And remember the PTS is the predecessor to the ACS. They literally threw the book out the window and started with a clean slate and said, we're gonna build a check ride. What do you guys want to be on it? And everybody had an idea. Well, let's put this on here. Let's put rejected takeoff on there. Let's get the guy up to high speed and give him some kind of a failure and see what he does during a rejected takeoff. Before AQP, the RTO was not even on an FAA check ride of any kind. And they said, well, that's that's a, that's a really a, a dicey area. You got get a guy up to 110 knots and give him a failure before a V1. He better know how to stop and he better do things instantly and perfectly. Let's, let's put that on the check ride. So the whole philosophy stemmed from that at, at about the same time that CRM was, was coming around and CRM originally was fought by the airlines. AQP was fought by the airlines. All the airline people, the unions, everybody initially fought AQP because they didn't know what it was and they viewed it as additional jeopardy. They also didn't like CRM because it usurped the captain's authority. Eventually everybody figured out AQP is a beautiful thing and it helps us helps us stay alive out there because now we are ready for the scenarios that are actually going to happen to us while we're flying. Is so really let's awesome. define a couple of those points real quick. So you've mentioned PTS, that's a practical test standards. Yes. And that's what is the, the you know, the, the really being replaced by this advanced qualifi qualification procedures. Is that what that essentially uh, for for ongoing for recurrent training? The other thing I want to make sure is CRM being cockpit resource management. Is that correct? Yes, and I, I appreciate you stopping to to clarify cockpit resource management. The idea of sharing ideas, sharing concepts, working together as a team to get the best desirable outcome in all situations using all your resources. That is CRM. AQP came out of throwing the PTS away, the practical test standards away, and, and writing every one of us in this room right now, I'm not sure there's probably 15 or 20 of us in here together, every one of us have taken a check ride. Everybody wants to know what's on the check ride. What do I have to do to pass? What's on the check ride? Well, when AQP came along for the airlines, they threw away the PTS, the practical test standards, and said, we're gonna write and develop and make up our own check ride, and it became legal became perfectly legal. And guess what it did, Jeff? I'm gonna guess it was a good thing since we're here tonight. It 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 unequivocally solved our problem almost instantly. Scenario-based training, we, we are never, in fact, you know, Jeff, I was an airline captain. I used to fly around in, a, in an airplane and, and let me give you a PA that I never made. Here's a PA that I never made at the airlines, ladies and gentlemen. We're in a lot of really deep duty right now, but I'm going to do a Shondell and get us out of this. <laughs> I never made that PA. What's a Shondell going to do for me in a triple seven? No, I don't need to know how to do a Shondell. I need to know how to fix the B system hydraulic on a single engine ILS going into Denver. That's what I need to know. 
that's the scenario that's probably going to get me. And I need to know what's going to happen when the B system fails. What am I going to revert to? What am I going to have as backup? What should I do? What are my speeds? How am I going to alter my speeds? How am I going to alter my auto brakes? Because I've been in this situation. I've been in this scenario. AQP was like butter. It, it wow. fixed it all. So this, I mean, this, this seems like so you're starting out with something that's a, a no-brainer and a breath of fresh air compared to what we've got today with federal regulations of practical test standards. Like it may make sense the first time, I suppose, although it should be in primary training as well. But the bottom line is you're talking about coming up with a list of things and scenarios that pilots are going to see on a regular, not a regular, but in an emergency basis, the things that kill pilots and their passengers, and then figuring out how do we train for that? Is that, is that in essence what you're talking about? It is what we're talking about. And it's on a volunteer basis. I didn't invent AQP for the airlines or for general aviation. I'm just a proponent of stealing their philosophy and applying it to general aviation, figuring out what is it that's killing our guys out there every day. Because if you look at it, we're not making up any new ways of killing ourselves. They're always one and the same. Every time an accident happens, I go, well, there's number 17. This guy did number 17. This guy did number four. There you go. This here's Here's what this guy did. There isn't anybody out there being very creative and killing themselves in a newer and refreshing way. They're not doing it. Why don't we learn what the very common surprise scenarios that are going to happen to us in our Cirrus, Bonanza, 172, Musketeer, Piper Cub, whatever it is, there's only about 20 good ways to kill yourself. Why don't we just learn what those are and use aeronautical decision-making and training to eliminate the surprise? Yeah. It seems like one of the big differences there between the airlines and bringing it to general aviation is that the airlines are themselves this large, well-organized, well-funded corporate entity that can look at these things and make a determination what is going to be their particular scenarios, how they're going to develop their AQP program. For us in general aviation, we're a thousand points of light. So what are your thoughts on what's killing people and how to create a program that then can apply to everybody since we're not all part of the same one one company? That's a good question. And I think it boils down to our incentive and desire to stay alive. The stakes are high. This is not ballet. You're flying an airplane and this is like Russian roulette. You spin that chamber enough times, you're going to get a bullet. It's only a matter of time until one of these scenarios hits you. If you're ready for it, I'll never hear about you. If you're not ready for it, I'm going to do a video about how you died because you were not ready. And I told you in advance, you're going to get one of these 20. Why don't you study up and practice one of these 20? Why, why don't you? You get to go home and have dinner with your family and not have a funeral. If you're ready for this thing, that's what you get to do. If you're not ready and you get sucker punched by any one of these 20, you're probably going in. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Can you, I know that our time obviously is limited tonight, but but can you give us a brief overview of what those 20 are so we kind of understand the the categories you're talking about? Um, I, I can. Do you have the graphic that I sent you that you I can put do. on the screen? Send me something there. Let me go, uh, 
me see what I can bring up here that'll help uh, that'll help do that. Although it may come up a little small for everybody, but we'll take a shot. There you go. That show up okay? Oh yeah, go ahead. Okay, so these are these are the ones that uh, that I've got on, uh, and I've got it on several websites. So I did a lot of stuff with uh, Aviation 101, Josh Flowers. Um, but uh, before I had a YouTube channel, I developed this, and uh, this document is for free on Aviation 101. But uh, uh, everything on the left-hand side of this page is controls still working at impact, which is a CFIT accident. Everything on the right side is controls not working at impact. So uh, now, Jeff, I do believe you have kids, don't you? Oh, yes, I do. Two All people right. with both pilots. Okay, you tell me, what what's the name of one of your kids? Jake. Jake. Let's say, both. Let's, Go ahead. Okay. let's say that you told Jake to take the trash out right now, and Jake said to you, no, sir, I won't do it. Would you say, <laughs> would you say that you've lost control of Jake? Uh, yeah, I would say that would be a, a, a clear failure. <laughs> yeah. When when you give a command and it is not followed, you, you've lost control. So when you pull back on your control yoke and the airplane goes down, you've lost control of your airplane. Loss of control is simply the fact that the controllers are no longer responding properly. So everything on the right side of this is controls not working at impact which means either the cable broke or it's fully stalled or you've got some kind of another problem. Each one of these AQP maneuvers, 11 through 20 on the right, this is telling you that the controls are no longer functioning. The ones so on the left. Let me clarify that again, just or, or reiterate it, Bell. You, you, you stated it quite well, but reiterate, make sure I'm clear. It doesn't necessarily mean that something's broken in your control system. It could be, like you said, you're stalled, spun, whatever's happening, and they're no longer... Air, they're no longer aerodynamically operating and, yes. uh, and, and the aircraft isn't controllable for some reason. Yes, yes. Your controls are no longer effective doing the job that you want them to do. They're no longer, they're no longer effective. On the left-hand side of the page, those are controls still working. Those are what we call CFIT, control, controlled flight into to terrain, which emphasis on controlled. You're in full control of the airplane. You just drove it straight into a cliff. Here, mm -hmm. Here's what you did. If you would have known that the cliff was there, you could have pulled back and the airplane would have responded. So there's 10 on the left and 10 on the right. And those what those are. Um, they're all explained in that PDF document, which is for, for, for free. I'll give you the two most common is number 11 and number 12 are the two that I really would like to see general aviation really focusing on almost everyone. We lost another Cirrus today in New York, loss of thrust on takeoff, killed two in an SR-22. So I don't have any of the preliminary information on that, but I'll bet you it's probably gonna be an airplane that got to 400 feet. They lost the engine, pulled back on the stick. They pulled the chute, but the chute did not deploy in time. So the chute came out, they still hit the ground and they're still dead. If they were ready, they would have lowered the nose, gone straight ahead, and un undone the door, and they would have crashed their airplane off field someplace. But loss of thrust on takeoff number 11, uh, loss of speed awareness, which I'd like to really dive in and, and explain what is speed awareness. About 40% of our accidents every year have to do with a loss of speed awareness. 
that means the airplanes. Right, let's, let's talk about those two for a minute, and because uh, obviously we won't be going through all of them, but let, let's talk about a couple of those because that seems to have a lot of commonalities with what people want to focus on. You mentioned loss, you know, engine power loss on takeoff. That that's a big that's a big issue. Um, how do you how do you train out of that in our environment? Is it simulator? Is it real? What what do you do for that? Well, first thing, Jeff, is I don't train, I condition. Mm. FAA does training, AQP does conditioning. See the difference? Yeah. FAA, FAA does training for maneuvers. AQP does conditioning for scenarios. A huge gulf between the two. If you want to train for a maneuver, you're training to complete the almighty steep turn 360. You trained for that. And congratulations, you can now perform a, a steep turn. Fine. Conditioning is, a, is a, a scenario. You're conditioning yourself to be able to deal with the scenario that you are handed. Everything on the right side of that piece of paper is a surprise that's going to happen to you, including loss of thrust on takeoff. If you hesitate or respond inappropriately, the airplane will stall and you will die from 400 feet. It's pretty much not any way that Humpty Dumpty can put the egg back together again. It's over. Mm -hmm. So your your only situation out here is conditioning, and we do that in the real airplane. We don't use simulators. We go out and fly 20 of these in a row. I do it all day long with all kinds of people and all kinds of airplanes. We pull the nose up, full power, climbing at VY. I chop the power, and I want to see the reaction instantly. As soon as that engine starts rolling back, they're on it, they're lower in the nose, and they go right to DMMS, start looking for where they're going to go. The first time you ever give one of these to, to one of these guys, every time they'll pull. Every time they will pull. I, I've given two A36 recurrents in the last 30 days, both of them on, on a surprise. I rolled his engine back with a throttle. He saw me do it. Both guys saw me do it, but they pulled back. They're climbing at VY, and we lost 10 knots in the first five seconds. Mm. And they're with me. They know I'm going to do something. If they're by themselves with their family, and that engine rolls back, and they've got the throttle mashed all the way to the firewall, I guarantee you they're going to pull back. And if they pull back hard enough, long enough, the airplane will stall, and we're, and we're not going to fix that. You can condition yourself. Yeah, well, especially, I mean, you're talking about VY. I mean, how many people actually are, are being conditioned, as it were, through their training to even start at VX, where your time is really low? Exactly. And that's a good point, uh, Jeff. Uh, that's a good point, different between VX, VY. Some people do climb out a little uh, higher deck angle at, at VX. Your reaction time is very, very low here. If you're If you're not Johnny on the spot, know what's coming and ready to respond properly, you're probably going to get it wrong. I want you to be conditioned to do the correct thing in each scenario. And that's what AQP for general aviation is. It is not a government thing. It's not a big deal. I'm not selling it. I don't have anything to sell. I'm just trying to get awareness up for people like people who are uh, watching this program tonight. Not very many probably in here because not very many people like me, but that's okay. There's probably this. No, seriously, last week, uh, I, I found a I found a guy that uh, actually called me friend, and I thought that is that was really nice. I I don't have very many friends, but I, I found a guy that uh, bought me a cup of coffee and called me a friend. So that was a really nice change of pace. I got a lot of people that hate me over this, and it's a crazy 
crazy deal. I know I get viewed like I'm trying to cram this down your throat. I'm just trying to keep you alive. I'm trying to get you to think about what you're doing out there and be ready for it. Isn't that a huge advantage to be able to be ready for these things? It makes sense. I like the idea of conditioning. Um, let me ask you a question though. Why uh, always in the in the airplane? If the airlines are almost always simulator based, uh, is it just because of cost, or um, you know, what what is it that allows you to, you know, or or has you doing all of it in the aircraft? It's mostly cost. Most of our rank and file GA people don't have access to a really good full motion GA simulator. You know, and other than Redbird, uh, there's not really much out there in simulators, even in the motion world. Pitch axis in a in a simulator is not not super great. You 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 can simulate some of that stuff, um, but it's it's better in an airplane. Um, I can give a guy a half a day recurrent in any airplane and I can make him solid gold in a half a day. I can give him a two and a half hours of flying and three hours of ground school. I can have him completely ready for the whole thing. I can completely realign his complete world on how he operates his airplane, including his checklist, his before taxi, his aeronautical decision-making, his preparedness for each one of these. Any, any CFI, I'm not a great CFI, any CFI can show the next guy how to do this, and it's it's not that big of a deal. Got it. So what is what's another big one that you'd like to talk about? So we've got you've got loss of power on takeoff, especially at low altitudes. What's an, what's another example that's uh, that's important to you? Uh, stabilized approach is is huge. Uh, stabilized approach in conjunction with a messed up go around. Messed up go around is number sixteen. Uh, stabilized approach. Um, People not knowing what a stabilized approach is, they're they're not coming in. They don't know what VREF is. They're they're flying too slow. Your airspeed indicator is marked with the bottom of the white in the bottom of the green. That shows you where the airplane is going to stall at. But you certainly don't want to fly there. You don't mm -hmm. want to be at 400 feet on the approach at the bottom of the white. So the question is, how much of, above the bottom of the white do you want to be? Well, nobody tells you that. Where's that? Where's that number on your airspeed indicator? It's not there, is it? Mm -hmm. It's not there. So uh, the, the non-stabilized approach, knowing what the criteria, I want to be on speed, on center line, on a, on a vertical path in the touchdown zone, in the, in the center line with, a, with an appropriate VSI uh, and checklist complete. I, wa I want that on landings. That's the same thing that you're going to get if you're going to the airlines. You're going to get stabilized approach crammed into you. Stabilized approach, stabilized approach, stabilized approach. You have to do it. Why can't we do a stabilized approach in a 172 in preparation for going to the airlines? Why Why would we not teach a VREF stabilized approach in a 172? Why would we not? Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of things that, that I think the, I don't know if it's, it's a non-AQP way of looking at accidents uh, or, but, a lot of the, the thoughts we hear are more about pilot behaviors. They're more about things like, like distraction or other pilot behaviors. How does that fit into AQP when we think about, uh, again, distraction causing accidents in the pattern or something like that? Well, AQP is centered around minimizing distractions. And your, your brain, Mike, is a, uh, I'm sorry, um, Jeff. <laughs> Your brain is a 286 computer. Did you know that? Your, your brain only has two brain cells and one of them sputters. 
you as a human being are just like me. We have a hard time remembering where we put our keys, right? In time of crisis, under shock and surprise and terror, what happens to your one remaining sputtering brain cell? What does it do? It shuts yeah. down. You're not able to process or think or apply logic or reasoning because you're freaked out over what just happened to you. So we, we've got to get over that to the, the, the whole process of, of reducing distractions. The distraction is gonna be in the shock of what happens to you. That is a distraction. Mm -hmm. Don't distracted by a loss of thrust on takeoff. Welcome it and go, aha, there's a real one. I'll take it. I'm ready for this. I'm going in the newspaper and I'm going to the golf course and everything's good. I'm going nose down, full flaps. I'm going nose, I'm going bonanza. I'm going full flaps into the golf course with the gear up and I'm going to slide it in on the belly and I'm going to open the door and step out and get my picture taken. Yes. That's what that's what you should be thinking. You should be welcoming that. You should be you should you should eliminate all distraction by being fully ready for each one of these, and then you'll be alive. That's that's really all it is, is, is the whole ATP concept, eliminating distractions in flight conditioning. I'm not a flight training guy, I'm a flight conditioning guy. I can program your brain to react properly every time, every guy, every airplane. So let's let's talk about that for a second when it comes to distractions uh, that aren't the engine stopping. So you take off, especially IMC, a lot of times your distractions come from air traffic control or come from getting fed all sorts of things that maybe you're not quite ready for at the moment. Tell me a little bit about how you train for that. Well, that is maneuver number uh, uh, three, intentional IMC after takeoff. And I think you're an instrument reader pilot, aren't you? Yes, sir. Have you ever made an instrument takeoff in the goo? Uh, like yes, a, I have. Of course. Have you? All right. Yeah, you know as well as anybody, it gets very busy. As soon as you push that throttle forward and rotate, what happens as soon as you lift off and transition, you're in solid white and moisture streaming past your windshield. What happens next? Well, ATC is going to want to talk to you. You got a little prop control you got to do. You got to turn your boost pump off. You got to turn your landing light off. You got to pull your throttle back to uh, the top of the green for the climb. If you're in a retract, you got to put the uh, gear up. If you're in another airplane, you got to put your flaps up. You got to turn your yaw damp on. You got all this stuff that you got to do. Uh, you got to hit the heading button. You got to hit the LNAV button. What's happening during that process? Well, ATC is telling you contact departure right while the gear is going up and you feel compelled to contact departure immediately. I step people through this entire process. We're gonna get a routine. Talking to ATC is last. Aviate, navigate, communicate. You do your aviating first. Make sure your navigation is good. We'll talk to ATC when we're good. Most of the time, the wreckage is found about two or three miles off the end of the runway because they rotated up into the goo. They reached forward, they started fiddling with their radios, talking to ATC, setting a new transponder, hitting the ident button, turning on the yaw damp, setting a new altitude, frequency change, something. They totally let go of aircraft control. What happens to the airplane when you're holding on to the yoke and you reach forward to mess with buttons? What happens to the yoke? It goes down. Yeah. 
So what does the airplane do? The airplane's always found about two or three miles off the end of the runway, drove it straight into the dirt. The pilot never even saw the earth coming up to meet him until it was too late. And uh, intentional IMC, I beat that into people regularly. Do not answer those people. Don't do anything. Aviate, navigate, communicate. They're going to be there. Give them 60 seconds. You take care of your aircraft. Maybe when you're up about 1,000 feet and climbing, then you can contact departure and get your new altitude, your new heading, and all that kind of stuff. Prioritize your single pilot IFR. And it's even okay to tell the tower controller, I'm single pilot IFR. Give me a minute after takeoff. Don't talk to me. Don't talk to ster sterile cockpit for the pilot. Tell ATC, I'd like a sterile cockpit for at least a minute after takeoff, please. I got a lot of stuff to do. Don't give you a don't give you a sterile cockpit if you ask for it. It's an interesting concept. I've never heard before of asking ATC ahead of time to work with you on a on an IMC takeoff, but I love that idea. I've asked ATC for all kinds of stuff. They're human beings. I get on there and I say, hey, uh, here's what's going on. I need a hand with this. Any chance you can, you can help me? And they'll say, yeah, what, what can I do for you? They're very helpful. They want to help. I'm in a test airplane. I'm making a takeoff here. Things are not good. Um, I want I want runway heading to 3,000. Previously, they'd given me left to this deal, join Victor something. I'd like runway heading to 3,000. And how about if I call you when I'm ready to talk to you? They always say, okay. Hmm. There's, there's an interesting theme about that, and that has to do with uh, the concept of being assertive with ATC. And, and that is something I don't think we teach during primary training. And it seems so important, especially in IF, when flying IFR. Um, it's interesting, the idea of asking them for help, but also being confident enough to either not answer them or tell them you can't do something. Exactly, exactly. And I think we need more training in that. People are afraid of asking ATC for help. Uh, and when ATC says something, they're wanting to, you, know, you ought to see their hands in the cockpit. I do training. Their hands move so fast. When ATC says something, it's it's like they flinch. Like, mm. hey, talk to me. I got to, I got to, I got to. Well, settle down. They're going to be there. It's all good. Just fly the airplane. Let's get this thing going. Let's get an autopilot on. Let's get climbing and vertical speed with an autopilot on. Then you can think about those guys in the little brick building down there. That would be, that'd be a lot better. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, you, you have just the whole concept of being assertive, being ahead, being conditioned um, is, is in, incredibly important. What is it that, that we can do to get more instructors on board with this concept? Is the resistance from instructors, from pilots? Uh, I mean, basically, it, it seems to be this idea of we can come in through the biennial flight review Where's where's the opportunity here? Uh, and that's a really good question as well. You know, I get um, a lot of texts all the time from uh, uh, from people and stuff like that. Um, it's mostly from people who don't understand. Um, obviously, I get a lot of hate and pushback from people who simply hate me because they don't like a banjo or they don't like me or they don't like me talking about accents. So they've they've associated with this stigma. Anti-DAN equals anti-AQP, which is really unfortunate. 
and I know I've brought a lot of that on myself. I didn't really mean to. I've just been that bullheaded about it, and I've I've pushed really, really hard on this stuff, but I've got a lot of people uh, now supporting it, a lot of universities and flight instructors, people around the country are totally on board with the free AQP concept, and there's enough pilots out there um, purely interested in staying alive. They're following what I'm saying, and they're going out and practicing in their own airplanes on their days off to try to get ready. So that's encouraging. Um, I don't know if you got that uh, text thing that I uh, sent you um, before there, but uh, um, it, that was a text from somebody uh, in the industry someplace uh, that I got intercepted. He simply said that AQP is used by commercial airlines because two airline pilots are flying the airplane. That's kind of that's kind of standard uh, for people who don't know or don't want to know or don't don't want this to work. He simply said that AQP is used by commercial airlines because two airline pilots are flying the airplane. That's truly what they're thinking. Like, this isn't for us. This has got to be just for the airlines. And it's the same pushback that we got on CRM. It's the same pushback that the airlines originally got on AQP. It's the pushback that we're seeing right now. And that's that's some of the stuff that I would like to power through and make everybody know whether you hate me or like me, don't associate it with me. Associate it with what you need to do to stay alive in your airplane. Because if you don't, I'm going to go to your town and make a video about how you died. And just remember that. Don't don't die in your airplane. Figure this out. Well, to me, it's it's very obviously very separate things, right? The 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 accent review stuff that you do versus AQP is is fascinating to me as an evolution of how we can look at flight training, and it seems that this is a theme in lots of different things, including regulation that's been changing. The idea that even for folks with experimental aircraft, like what we're building behind me, that they're no longer like 40 hours, now it's task-based. And they're trying to look at what matters, what's killing people who are just finished aircraft and, and, and whether they need to test on planes instead of racking up hours. It's the same thing of what they try to do with medicals, what they try to do with other stuff. Everyone's trying to get more about the things that matter. And AQP seems to be about that. So you seem to be in step, and the whole concept and what the airlines already did is very much in step with everything uh, involving aviation right now. It is, I just need some bigger people above my pay grade that have the connections and the social skills. I don't, I don't have the social skills. I play the banjo. And I like canoes and and flip flops. I'm I'm not I'm not cut out for the corporate world and doing all that kind of stuff. I need somebody out there that's connected that can see this as a product and a and a huge benefit for the industry that could take it. Uh, I'd be happy to provide all the consulting and all the stuff for free. Somebody needs to build a product out of this thing, and you can even market it if you want to and sell it. I don't care as long as the the deal gets to our members and our fellow brother and sister pilots so that they could stay alive. Me as an individual, I'm, I'm literally a, a one man show and uh, people have often asked, how am I doing with it? And I tell them, it feels like I'm swimming in an ocean and I'm a good swimmer. I'm a very good swimmer. It feels like I'm swimming in an ocean, pushing on the bow of a battleship, swimming as hard as I can. I'm trying to turn the course of the battleship by me swimming in the ocean and pushing on the bow, 
that's how that's how much mass I'm trying to move here and how little I am. This huge 5,000 kiloton battleship, you got me swimming, pushing on the bow, trying to change the direction? No, not, well, not, I need some help. Right now, the opportunity we have is the biennial flight review in terms of in general, what people, you know, do. And, and I think one of the challenges, of course, is that there's requirements. There's a, you know, practical test standard, essentially, of the biennial flight review that, um, that has to be done. And, and it's not about these types of things. So we'd have to add it to those types of things, or we'd have to convince people in the FAA to revise the concept of the biennial flight review and what we're trying to actually teach these pilots. What are your or, thoughts on that? Or what's, what's choice three? It's an addition. Choice three is you convince people to voluntarily have enough interest in staying alive in their own airplane that they voluntarily think about this. Most of this material is for free on the web and on YouTube. There's tons of stuff on here to show what you should do. It doesn't take any money or really any extra effort. Um, you could, you really should go out in your airplane and practice some of these, but you could go get with your own CFI maybe once a quarter and step through some of these killer items and be much, much better prepared. And I have to ask you, um, Bob, you're, uh, I'm sorry. Jeff. You are an AMP and an IA, is that correct? Yes, sir. All right. So I'm not talking about you, but the, the job of the IA, what does IA stand for? Inspection authorization. So the government has given you a credential that says inspection authorization. So it tells me that you're authorized to inspect something. What are you authorized to inspect? Airframes and power plants. And propellers. Yes, and propellers, aircraft, all their components. Yeah. And so if any average IA in America signed off his friend's airplane, tell me about tell me about the logbook sign-off that an IA, an average IA with an average annual, what would it sound like when somebody signs off an annual inspection for their friend's airplane? What does that sound like? I certify that this blank airframe propeller power plant uh, engine has been uh, inspected in accordance with. Yes. Yes. How about your AME? Do you have a medical? Yeah, they do the same thing. Your AME certified that you, as a pilot, you have blood and cholesterol and brain cells and all those kind of things that go into, he certifies that you're okay to fly, right? He puts his name on that piece of paper. He actually signs your medical with his name saying, I certify that you are fit to fly or whatever. The IA has the job using this, I certify that this aircraft. Now, how about us as pilots? Who is it that looks at us and inspects us GA pilots and uses those words, I certify that Jeff Simon has been inspected as a pilot and I find him safe and competent to perform the duties of private pilot with an instrument rating for the next 12 months. I certify that on this day and time I flew with him and I found him competent and qualified. When has anybody ever put that in your logbook? Only when you get your ticket for your next rating. Exactly. So now you got your your body being inspected all the time. 
you got your airframe being inspected and signed off. You got your propeller being inspected and signed off. You got your avionics, your power plant. You do a compression check and do an oil analysis. You do all this kind of stuff. Our failures are not, for the most part, physical failures of things. They're the loose nut behind the wheel is the failure. That's mm -hmm. us. No one is inspected. How many guys out there are flying around right now that really should not be flying around that are complete? unbelievable shouldn't be flying they are out there who is it that catches those in the safety net and says i'm not putting my name in his book it's because no one has to put their name in his book he can mm -hmm. fly for forever on a biennial flight review no one ever had to say i certify that i've been that i have flown with frank and he is competent and qualified to act as pilot in command if frank goes in Feds go looking at that logbook and says, well, you just signed him off. Uh, what was he like to, you know, whenever you put your name on the line and sign those words, I certify, it's a big deal. I think that's the missing link that we hmm. have here. And I'm not advocating more government regulation or more rules or more anything. I'm just saying we could, on a volunteer basis, we could invoke a better voluntary AQP annual flight review and use the words I certify. And if you look on my uh, Facebook page, AQP and Coffee, we've got that document on there. We've been doing flight reviews for the last six months with a new flight review sign-off that has worked very well. We've hmm. got dozens of them. Dozens of CFIs have done a flight review using the words I certify. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, obviously I can understand that's controversial because the challenges there are, are we're very few of us in aviation are looking for additional regulation and additional issues with that. We obviously are already in a, 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 a world that's governed that way, but we want to improve safety at the same time. And I think you've got a point in that the biennial flight review is not a pass bail and no one certifies anything. Correct. And it might be helpful if the instructor was actually saying something about how you did right. uh, at, at the end of that, even if it wasn't, didn't have legal weight. Jeff, we're down to things are bad and getting worse with the entire thing. Hunter Lowled, cost of insurance, disappearing airframes, government regulation, all our other problems. We can either fix this ourselves on a volunteer basis or we're fixing to lose our freedoms. Our freedom to fly is being eroded at our own hands. We're sitting idly by and we're being lazy and not being proactive in self looking at the best way to proactively stop these losses and prove to the general public that we are safe, we are competent and we're self-regulating and we're not going to do these stupid things. Every time we crash an airplane into a school and kill children, it's not good for our industry. 18 general aviation fatals per month, which is our average right now, 18 per month, sometimes we have 20 per month, has been the steady drumbeat for forever. We're doing 18 to 20 general aviation fatal accidents per month. Why? They're all the same thing. Can't we look at that and amongst ourselves come up with some kind of a committee that says, hey boys, let's get together, let's voluntarily do this, Let's say that even across insurance, maybe insurance could say, we're not doing any more insurance without the words I certify. Get your, get your CFI 
on your insurance renewal to use the words, I certify that Jeff Simon is, is competent and qualified. I flew with Jeff Simon and I find him competent and qualified to act as a private pilot. If you have those words, we'll renew your insurance. If you don't, we're not renewing your insurance. That might be, that might be. Now, would it take you, Jeff Simon, would it take you a few extra dollars to, to get that sticker? I would imagine it's possible. Who knows? It might, it might take you a few extra dollars if they did something like that. I don't want any more government regulation. I don't want the feds involved. I think we should just look at this on a common sense basis and try to fix it ourselves the very best way that we can. It, are you finding that this is, is it mainly just not being satisfied with where we are today, even if it is improving, or do you actually believe that pilots, let's say today, are having more accidents, worse trained, or anything like that than, let's say, 10 or 20 years ago? I don't have an answer. I don't, I don't know what we're looking at. I, some some days I feel like we're making headway, and some days I, I wake up and, and shake my head and go, you have got to be kidding me. And I I don't know, Jeff. I, I, I feel like just on a feel-good basis, every place I go, I have people that tell me all the time what they're doing and how much my work has changed their way of thinking about flying and that is encouraging across the statistical board have i actually seen any real changes in this in the stats yet i can't say that i have mm -hmm. but how long is it going to take to push this battleship before i ever, ever see one degree of heading change i don't know yeah um as we're starting to come towards the top of the hour do you have a few other nuggets you mentioned you know power takeoff we talked about going imc and sterile cockpit and and what matters for that conditioning what are a few other conditioning things that that, that are high on your list that that we can leave people with to think about from that list and again we will point people to where they can see that list of 20 items well not, number one the most pushback i get on anything i would really love to people to understand the concept of DMMS, defined minimum maneuvering speed. The airlines have a min maneuvering speed that's 30% above stall. Everything at the airlines is based on indicated airspeed. I'm a fan of AOAs. I'm a fan of electronic gizmos. Most of us don't have that. Your airspeed indicator will tell you all the time. I know that an airplane could be stalled in any attitude and any on, on all that stuff. Your airspeed indicator, for the most part, if you would just honor a min maneuvering speed, where is it in the airplane? Now you're flying, what kind of airplane do you fly? A Bonanza. Bonanza, uh, a V or an A? A V? A, A36. A36, all right. Well, if you look at the bottom of the green and take the bottom of the green times 1.404, are you glass or analog in there? All in, well, no, I've got Aspen glass in front of me. Okay. Uh, you should be able to find a way to mark on your airspeed indicator. You'd be surprised how helpful it is knowing what the speed is. And since you're a Bonanza owner and you have an A36, you have a POH someplace, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I should clarify, I've got both there. So you're right. I mean, that's why I stumble. I've got an analog airspeed indicator right next to the, the Aspen glass. So I can either put it on the tape, which Aspen lets you do, uh, or I can get out a little China marker and put it right there on the glass. Perfect. Now. Tell me this, this is gonna be a great question. Tell me what speed you're gonna fly. Davey, you far in the pattern in your A36, there's nobody else out there, no wind, you're coming into a long runway. Downwind, base, and final, what speeds do you fly? 
90 miles an hour stabilized in the pattern uh, until I get on to the final approach and then I'll bring it uh, down to 85 across the numbers or okay. 85 on final and 80 across the numbers. Okay, so you're, you're 90 indicated base to final. Yes. Okay, so you're 90 indicated with gear down and you overshoot final and you bank it 30 degrees to reacquire final. How much, what percent above stall are you in that configuration? If you're exactly on 90, bank 30 degrees at 507 feet AGL, <laughs> what percent above stall are you? Here comes the math. So we're talking, uh, what, uh, uh, 70 miles an hour. Well, uh, so I am roughly 1.3, a little more. You're not. You're less than 1.3. At 90 okay. knots, you're 836. Yep. You're you're about 7% above stall at, an, at a 30 degree bank. You're oh, about 30 degree bank. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was thinking flat, straight wing, but yeah, yes. Yes, at 30 degrees bank, you're only 7% above stall because you're flying 90. Now, where in your 836 manual did it tell you to fly 90 based to final? Where's that number at? Back in my training. It's not in there. It's not in the Beechcraft manual. They didn't tell you what speed to fly on downwind, base, or final. I'm telling you that there's a min maneuvering for your A36, and it's significantly above 90 that'll keep you safe until you're on final on a path. That's DMMS. You should honor that because you're going to overshoot final, and you overbank and try to get it back. You pull the nose up because you're low, and there goes Jeff. If you have DMMS, you're guaranteed a 30% buffer, and that's what the feds want us to have at all times, a 30% buffer. You're flying around with a 7% buffer and didn't know it because it's not in the manual. So that's one, you said 1.4 and change, right? 1.404 times bottom of the green is your minimum maneuvering speed. Put it on your placard, on your airspeed indicator, don't bust it until you're on final and then you become a V-REF airplane, then you're 1.3 times the bottom of the white, all the way in, stabilized approach, you're, you're one of the two. After takeoff, you're a DMMS airplane. On the downwind, you're a DMMS airplane. Downwind to base, you're a DMMS airplane. When you turn, it's the same concept that the airlines do. How often do I stall the 777? I'm gonna hope zero. When's the last time you ever heard of a 747 stalling in the pattern? Uh, yeah. Zero. <laughs> we don't we don't stall airliners because everybody knows what the min maneuvering speed is and everybody honors it. It's the same concept. There's no magic here. They just figured out this 30% margin in all lift configurations. What's what's our min speed to fly? In GA, no one ever tells us you're flying around at 90 and don't know. Don't know. Nobody knows. Isn't that yep. crazy? Makes sense. That's a great. That's a great nugget to to certainly to wrap up with. So, so Dan, I, uh, where can people find these twenty and more information about AQP? Um, well, the uh, the best place right now is Josh Flowers uh, Aviation One Hundred One's got uh, all those that PDF on his uh, website. I've got it on my website as well. I'm fixing to update that um, as well. But uh, Flight Chops has got a whole bunch of my AQP videos. I'm in eight different flight chops uh, videos. Uh, the very, very first one that I did was his flight review, which is always worth going back and seeing. We did that 
I don't know, four or five years ago or something like that. But I made a whole bunch of other people's stuff. But that uh, that one PDF that I wrote five years ago is still out there, still valid. I wouldn't change a word of it, and it's free. I encourage you to stay alive because I don't have time to go to your town and make a video about how you died. <laughs> All right. Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining us tonight on Social Flight Live. I appreciate the work that you've done and uh, what you're continuing to do, having to do with improving flight training and ultimately trying to save lives. So thank, thanks very much for that. Yes, sir, Jeff. Great job tonight, and thanks for uh, putting this thing on. Absolutely. Have a wonderful evening. You bet. Take care. And to all of you, thank you so much for taking time out of your evening to join us here again on Social Flight Live. We'll be back next week, Tuesday, June 13th at 8 p.m. with Meredith Bagby. She is the author of the fantastic best-selling book, The New Guys. This is about the NASA astronaut class that broke barriers and changed uh, NASA forever. We had Fred Gregory here on the show, who is in the book, along with so many other astronauts and their stories. It's, it's just remarkable. Cannot wait to have Meredith on the show. Be sure to be here for that show, Limited Seats. And then Tuesday, June 20th at 8 p.m., Brian Udell, the man who ejected at over 800 miles per hour and lived to tell the story. We'll talk about his life story and what that extreme experience was in the, during that military flight. And then on Tuesday, June 27th, we are here with Avidyne founder Dan Schwinn, and talk about the state of GA avionics and the shops that install them. So lots of good information coming up and some fantastic shows here on Social Flight Live. Until next time, thank you so much for joining us here, and I wish you all blue skies.